Morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah. What a fine bunch of people you are. Just one other domestic uh, or family notice, really, here. I think most of you now will know that Anne Vidler went to heaven two weeks ago. And if that you haven't caught up with that, um, just uh, she died in her sleep, went to sleep on earth, woke up in heaven. Wouldn't we all like that? Sounds pretty good to me. So, uh, yeah, the, there is a slight delay in the funeral, and the, um, the funeral is a private family funeral only, but there will be a Thanksgiving service here on Saturday the 26th of August at 2.30. Now, even if you didn't, does, is there anybody, some of you here won't know who Annie was, a very small lady who used to go around and greet most of us as many as she could on a Sunday morning, and we were all frightened she was going to fall over, <laughs> but she never quite did, and um, so that's who she is, and she is a very highly honored member of our church, we think, for certainly in excess of 40 years. And uh, that entire 40 years was spent in social work of one kind or another. Part of it she worked actually alongside me um, as a pastor for the 12 years that I was pastoring as such here alongside Colin. And um, she was an invaluable member of the team at that time and continued to be so over the years that have gone on since then. So a very small lady who is going to leave a very big hole in our church. So let me just mention that date again, 26th of August. I expect we'll send out an email nearer the time. But it would just lovely of as many of you as possible to come, um, just to thank God for her life. And some of you she touched very deeply and very meaningfully. And uh, I'm sure you will want to be here. So where are we going this morning then? Well, if we could have John chapter 1 up on the board on the screen behind me, it will help. Great. Yeah. From verse 21. That this, this is a great chapter. I guess just preface it with, with some remarks, really. And uh, if my Bible would just stay in one place, it would be helpful. Yeah. Back in uh, September <coughs> of last year, I found myself standing in the River Jordan, up to my knees in water, and uh, renewing my baptismal vows. Now, whether you think that's theologically right or wrong, I don't know, but it's all right to say, hello, say uh, amen to everything that God wants us to do. And so I was not baptized again, but I stood in the river, and, uh, and prayer was made, a renewing of vows. That's... It's 63 years ago, when I was 13, that um, I was baptized in the Baptist church just down the road here. So that seems an awfully long time. And it was just a wonderful experience to stand there. And so uh, that's the kind of context of what we want to share with you this morning. That a remarkable experience, perhaps, that these disciples had when they too stood on the banks of that same river, and possibly, we can't prove it, in pretty much the same place. And uh, three members of the group that I was with were actually baptized by immersion on that day. I was glad that was them, because actually the Jordan isn't exactly purely clean. If you've seen it, it's quite a muddy, 
kind of stream almost now, well, a small river. But uh, it was significant for me. And one of the things I noticed was that there's lots of other <coughs> groups there from different nations of the world. And uh, all along the bank, there is access points to the river, so you can get into it safely. <coughs> and all along, there were people from every nation, it seemed, singing in their own language, singing songs that I knew, but not in the language that I knew. So we were singing along when we understood, and so on and so forth. It was amazing. It was a kind of an organized chaos, actually. Well, it was. It was like organized chaos. You know what I mean by that, don't you? And it struck me at the time, and it struck me again when I thought about today, <coughs> was that we would, it was like that when Jesus went to the River Jordan with the intention of being baptized by John, and the crowds were surging all around John because John, up to that point, had been the most remarkable character that had burst on the scene for something like 400 years. And uh, in himself, an extraordinary character. Uh, you could not miss him, dressed as he was as in the, um, the way that he was and the style of his preaching. It was very strong, it was very forthright, and so on and so forth. And uh, it must have been organized chaos then. And into that organized chaos comes Jesus. I'm going to read from verse 29, which says, The next day, pardon me, it says all this was happening. He's predicted, John has predicted that um, uh, there's one coming, he says. I baptize with water, but one stands among you who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's, we've heard that so many times, it's not as revolutionary as it was then. These people were tied into a, a, a system of sacrifices and had been for generation after generation, hundreds of years, the Old Testament style of worship and, and so on and so forth. But they suddenly hear somebody saying, look, pointing, I'm going to use Albert, pointing to him and saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he said that, they understood perfectly what he was saying, because on the Day of Atonement, that literally happened back in Old Testament times. They would take two um, sheep or goats, uh, one would be, become the sacrifice, and the other was called the scapegoat because the sins of the nation were laid on that animal, and somebody had the responsibility of leading it out into the desert to as far as it would go and abandoning it thus signifying that God had received the sacrifice and that the sin of the nation had ex been expunged for another year. <coughs> and so when suddenly this becomes not just a temple activity, here on these banks, with the freedom and liberty of the open air, with this great crowd around him, and suddenly he declares it, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, 
there comes one after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel, and by implication revealed to us as time went by. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Here comes an important sentence. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. That was explosive. That was revolutionary at that time. No wonder the crowds crowded in. They were hearing stuff that they'd not heard for a long time. They were hearing a new message. And suddenly, John, who is the herald, is saying, I'm about to step aside because the reality is here among us. The Son of God has come down from heaven and is among us today. And I've identified him in the crowd. I'm sure he pointed to him. Interesting, he says here, the next day, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. He doesn't want to, to miss the, the import of what he's been saying. And then, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And Jesus, turning round, saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? There was a hunger in these men. That's the point I want to make to you first of all. There was a passion in these people that came. There was a passion everywhere to know more about God. The people were hungry for God in the nation. All that that was true in our nation today. A hunger for God, a searching for God, a longing for God. That's one of the things we should be praying for, I think. We pray for revival in a general sense, and we've got different ideas as to how that might be. What we need to pray is the nation that at one level is very bored, I think, with lots of things and very frustrated, you know. There is a genuine hunger out there for something different, for a change, you know. We see it everywhere, in the politics and in the daily life. There's something going on out there that is a developing hunger. And we should be praying that, in one sense, that that hunger will increase. Because it's only when we're hungry that we look for a solution. When you're really hungry about something. And the people of God should be equally hungry. We should be hungry to see that kind of stirring in the nation. A hunger in our own lives and hearts. There's that shattering verse, really, in Revelation. When Jesus talks to one of the Laodicean church and he says, Your problem is this. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, therefore I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That is strong language, isn't it? That's the Son of God speaking, not me. The polite word says, I'll spew or whatever, but, you know, that's what he meant. I've had enough of lukewarmness. You say, but what can I do about that then in my own life? You can pray for a passion. You can pray for God to put a hunger into you, 
a thirst. You know, when, when you're hungry, you, you can kind of last quite a long time, can't you? Well, I'll tell you, if you're in, in Israel and the temperature's 40 degrees centigrade, you get thirsty pretty quick. And you carry a huge bottle of water around with you all the time. Because otherwise you'll dehydrate. And, that, and you're craving sometimes. You're, you're longing. You're trying to make your drink last long because you're so thirsty. That's where we need to get to. And we we'll only get there if we pray. Each individually. God, make me hungry for you. Make me thirsty for you. Stir up my lukewarmness. Create passion in me. You know, disturb me, make me uncomfortable, challenge me. And Jesus spent a lot of time in his missions challenging his disciples in all kinds of ways. He wanted them to be hungry. Often they were all over the place. But he came to disturb them. Let's pray that he disturbs us. So that amazing man John stands really in the role of an Old Testament prophet, although some have said well, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets and he was the first of the New Testament prophets. He stands like legs apart across the divide and he put in both camps, if you like, joining the two together. That's why he's such a... Jesus said about John the Baptist, there has not ever been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. He exceeds all the prophets that had gone before him. So there they are. They're at Bethany. This is not the Bethany of, uh, that you find just a mile or so outside of the main walls of Jerusalem. That's another Bethany. That's the Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha live. This Bethany is right down near Jericho. It stands on the banks. We're not sure of its location today. But historically, it was literally on the banks of the river. It, um, Jericho was an interesting city. Let's just say that. It was a significant city. So there are a mile or two outside of it. It was, uh, the word Jericho means uh, uh, a sweet smell. And that was because of the date plantations that were there. And Bethany actually means the house of dates, you know? And the dates there are not, they're much better than the ones that you get out of a box sometime at Christmas time, you know? These dates are luscious. And there were huge plantations there, even in Jesus' time. And there's another place too there called Bethabara. Just another village close to, to uh, Bethany. And that name means house of the ford. In other words, it was where you crossed the river. If you went back historically, it's probably somewhere near there when the people entered the Promised Land and when the river was in flood and uh, they couldn't get across um, and God parted the waters. One wonders, I'm speculating, maybe that's where the ford really was. And he poured the water back and they crossed over on dry land. Historically, Jericho is the oldest city in the world. So it goes back a long way. Enough of the geography, really. Um, it is in the middle of the Judean de- having said that, it is in the middle of the Judean desert. It's desert all around other than this great oasis. 
And it was also a main thoroughfare. People coming up to Jerusalem for the great feast three times a year, thousands upon thousands of people would trek up to Jerusalem. And one of the ways they came up was through via Jericho and the road that goes up to Jerusalem, the road that Jesus spoke about when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, and uh, that is a very hazardous road. It, it, you can still see the ancient road deep down in, dangerous place to be, incredibly hot. And that was the, but it was the way up to Jerusalem, and literally up, some 3,000 feet, going up over a period uh, about 18 miles. That's the sort of place that it was all in. And because these crowds were gathering there, and because it was a great thoroughfare, news from there would spread rapidly throughout the nation. And that news that was going out, there's John the Baptist, there's something going on down here. You know, if revival, when revival breaks out somewhere, people want to go and find it, don't they? Want to go and experience it. Well, they knew something was happening. And so these disciples, there's Simon and Andrew and James and John, brothers, the first two brothers from one family, the James and John from another family, and they traveled 90 miles from Galilee right the way down this hazardous journey down to Jericho to find John the Baptist at Bethany baptizing. That took passion. It's a long, they walked. You know, it's, it's a long challenge to walk 90 miles, isn't it? If we knew that, you know, somewhere 90 miles from here, revival, we'd be able to get in the car or get on the bus or get a train, wouldn't we? No, you had to have a passion to get to this place. And they had that passion. They were hungry for God. Oh, God, stir up hunger in us like they had. They were hungry, thirsty. And they trekked all that way down there. And they were not disappointed, were they? They encountered God. Their passion for God took them to where they needed to be. On one occasion, Jesus says, Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's a promise, and he keeps his promises. If we're truly hungry enough, and if we're truly thirsty enough, we will experience God in a new and more dynamic way. I do believe that. I'm going to call them the band of brothers, these four, because they are like the nucleus of the first disciples. No one's been called before this point to be a disciple. Even they haven't been called at this moment. They just happened to be there. And Jesus, Jesus is there at the same time. That is not a coincidence. And they witness these events. Uh, they witness the event of, of John baptizing Jesus. We won't go into why he needed to be baptized, but basically just to, in many ways to set an example to us of submission and obedience to God. This band of brothers, they were hungry. I expect they traveled together. They were all fishermen. They were probably in business together. They knew what it was like to work together, cooperate together. I guess they perhaps met together. Do you think they perhaps met together for prayer? Do you think perhaps their hunger for God brought them together? You know, if, we, if you find yourself a part of a group of people who are hungry for God, you know, keep with the group. Who we fellowship with can make a big difference to us, can't it? 
If we fellowship with darkness, we'll go nowhere. If we fellowship with the light, we'll see where we're going. Just make sure we fellowship with the right people. And find the people that are hungry. And, and attach yourself to it. This is what they did. They went down looking for God. And they found the Son of God in person. Hunger. The passion. It's a desire. It's a sense of need. It's a sense of dissatisfaction. And they were all those things. An inner longing. A curiosity that draws all of us on and on and on and deeper and deeper into God. But you may not be a Christian this morning. Most of us are. Most of us are Christians here this morning. But not necessarily all of us, because I don't know you all. So I'm not picking on anyone. But if you're here this morning, and you're not yet a Christian, God has drawn you here. I won't ask you to stand up and do anything like that. But he's drawn you here. You're not here by accident. You're here because God brought you here this morning. Might be a hundred different reasons if there's a hundred, you know, people who are not yet Christians. To some people, it's a surprise to know they're not a Christian. But being a Christian, we will explain that to you over a period of time. Being a Christian actually is to be in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an astounding thing, isn't it? I think as Christians, sometimes we, we get familiar with this stuff, don't we? You know? Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. That is a statement, isn't it? And more than that, I can know the Son of God. The Bible says the Son of God lives in me. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I, sometimes I feel, some days I think, I want to give myself a good kicking because I don't grasp it as as I grasp it. What about you? Do you ever feel like that? I think you probably do. Yeah. Just looking again at my notes. Just, you might be somebody who's interested in Christian faith, but you haven't yet signed up to it. That's fair enough. I wanted to start somewhere. I had the advantage of going to a Sunday school from four years old. So if you like, my journey started there. But other, your journey may have started just a week ago or a month ago or several years ago. But you're here this morning because he wants you to be here. He wants you to know that you're real. John says it, doesn't he? I testify that this is the Son of God. I, Brian Woodgate, testify that Jesus is the Son of God. There are people sitting around. All, all Christians here could turn. We're not going to do it. But you could turn around and say to the person, you know, the Son of God lives in me. Hallelujah indeed to Albert. There's a clue in John chapter 6 and verse 44 when Jesus says this. No one can come to me unless the Father has unless the Father who sent me draws them. God sent Jesus to the earth to draw us to him. 
in every generation ever since he came, he's been drawing people to himself. He didn't just come for one generation and die on a cross. He came for one generation, died on the cross, rose again, so that every generation after that could know him. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Does he live in your heart this morning? Does Jesus live in your heart? If he does, welcome him. Encourage him. Make him welcome. And make sure that where he is dwelling is clean. If Jesus was coming to your house today, you would spring clean it from top to bottom. You'd clean the windows. You, you, you would do everything you could, wouldn't you? Get out the best china, etc., etc., etc. Look, he's living in you. I think I've made the point. He's drawn you here. And these were drawn, these disciples. <coughs> the word came, look. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, sin cuts us off from God. That's the problem. And Jesus came to reconnect us to God. Which he achieved on the cross of Calvary. If you like, he built a bridge from one side to the other for us to cross over and come to love and to know When the Son of God offers you his love, dare any of us reject it. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that is to sanctify us. That we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. My home at the moment is 32 Coniston Avenue. My permanent home will be heaven itself. Amen? And yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours. All of us have a permanent home in heaven, a place prepared for us. If you don't know Jesus yet, I want to tell you, he has got a place prepared for you as well. And he invites you this morning to come and take the first step, if you like, in occupying that. Like I said just now, our journey to Christ often takes a long time. Some come very quickly, some Step by step by step. That's all right. If you're sitting among us this morning, you might have been sitting among us for weeks, and you're step by step by step getting to know Christ in and through what you witness and testify here, <clears throat> and there will come a moment when he who is outside, if you invite him, will come inside. I rarely preach without quoting Revelation 3.20. It's a verse that drew me to Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come into him and I will remain with him and he with me. That's an invitation. I heard the knock a long time ago, 1954. And Christ came in to my life. And he's never left. He's never left, and he never will.
And I want to share that with you this morning. I want you to have that experience. I want us as believers to grab hold of that in a new way. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ who lives in you from day to day. Christ who accompanies you wherever you go. Christ who motivates you. Truly, he is the Son of God. The person of Jesus is most important. We talk about passion for God. The person of Jesus is very important. And Simon, Peter here, perhaps we ought to just read a few more verses of what went on. The next day, verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus pass by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Then the two disciples heard him say this. When they heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They turned away from John and followed Jesus. And sometimes we've got to turn away from things in order to follow Jesus. They've been satisfied with John up to that point. But they saw something in Christ that drew them on. So they, if you like, turned their back on John and they followed Jesus. And he says to them, turning around, he says to them, what do you want? What do you want? He says that to you this morning, what do you want? He could have said, what can I do for you? He's drawing them on, he's leading them on, he's encouraging them on. And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. Come and you will see. You know, if you feel being drawn in any way this morning towards Jesus for the first time, his invitation to you is, come and see them. Come and have a look for yourself. Come and hear what I've got to say. I'm not asking you to make a big decision here now at this particular moment. I'm simply saying to you, come and see. Come and see. Many of us here came and saw, didn't we? We are where we are today in God because of that. It was a first step for them. Might be the first step for you this morning. One of the things about that is that uh, when Jesus looked at these disciples, he saw the potential that was in them. Every single person here God sees your potential, right? Some of you, he saw it, he's developed it over the years. You are the person that you are today because he's been helping you through the Holy Spirit to develop to where you are today so that you can be of great use in his kingdom. Some of you are at the beginning and you're just learning, but that's great. And some of you are still on your way and that's great. He saw their potential before they made any commitment to him. Come and see, he says. He looks deep into their hearts. He's detecting capabilities and possibilities that were hidden even from themselves. And then he helps them over the next three years to develop and see their potential. And after the day of Pentecost, it explodes big time as the church takes root a church which is started by Jesus and by these same disciples. They had no idea what God was going to do with them. You may have no idea what God's going to do with you, but he knows exactly. You have nothing to be frightened of. 
because to follow Jesus is the best way in life and the most exciting way. I want to say something now about we who seek to make Jesus known. That's one of the main mission of the church is to make Christ known, to share what we have with other people. Jesus sent his disciples out very early in the process, sent them out to go and share what he taught them thus far. He sends us out in all kinds of ways, mainly to our everyday life and living, some of us to specific purposes. But he draws us out and sends us out to share what we've got. When we, as we engage collectively as a church uh, uh, in, in, in making Christ known, that's a great thing. But often it's more effective, I think, in personal witness and testimony. And we should not be discouraged if we don't get immediate results. We sometimes feel like we, we've got to go out and get everybody saved this afternoon in Tunbridge Wells, and if we can't, we give up. No. Regular, systematic sharing, witnessing, testifying, living the gospel. I, uh, there's a famous quote by Francis of Assisi, well, I'll hurry to an end. And he said once, or as alleged to have said, um, go and share the gospel, and if you have to, use words. I disagree with him. I think he's completely wrong. Go and speak the gospel, and then live it out. The two are similar. We need to go, beloved. And by going, I don't mean standing on the street corner up here I'm necessarily proclaiming the gospel. If you feel that's the right thing to do and God tells you to do it, go and do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's, that's what Mary said about him. But broadly speaking, it's go to the world we live in. It's go to the street we live in. It's go to the people we mix with. It goes to our friends. And wherever you go, seeking an opportunity. And we've been emphasizing this recently, haven't we, Liz? The opportunity. I love what... Uh, Liz said a week or two ago, and told us an extraordinary story, an encounter she had with somebody who was not a Christian, and then she put to him this question, have you ever considered becoming a Christian? I think that's a key word that all of us as Christians can use, because it's a non-threatening statement. Have you ever considered? And most people haven't considered. It's time they did. So we should invite them to consider, not bang a Bible on their head, but invite them and tell them about we, our experience and then say to them, tell them your story. You say, I find it very hard to tell the story. As I was sitting preparing, I thought, I remember back years ago, and not in this church, in another church, they published a little booklet which was individual testimonies of people in the church, and you had it and you could give it away to people. This is who we are and these are the people. What I'm suggesting to you this morning and to myself is that we write, write out your testimony, not in 25 full-cap pages, you know, A4, whatever, a summary of your Christian life that you, so far, how you became a Christian. And don't be daunted because you didn't have a massive kind of Damascus Road conversion, because most of us don't. Most of us come quietly to Christ in one way or another. Look, just tell your story. Write it down. Keep it brief. Keep it to the point. 
tell the truth, don't elaborate it, just tell it the way it is, get it into your mind, in your own head, if you like, memorise it even. Because too often we, we're on the spur of the moment, we don't know where to go. If we've got it together, then when somebody says something, we know where to go. Well, let me tell you how I became a Christian. I've got time to tell you, some of you know. But we could do that. And then when we get the opportunity, would you like to, have you ever considered, this is my story, why don't you consider it? It's a suggestion, beloved. Like the old hymn says, this is my story, this is my song. It is your story. And nobody else has got the story except you had. And I think you'll find that, that, that you know, your story will converge with the person. God will put ends together. I must finish. I must finish. Proclamation. Proclamation. This is what these decided. I want you to just notice this. Bear with me, please. I know I'm going on a bit, but listen to this again here. It says, he said, come, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying. They spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. That's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They spent the rest of that day with him. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, that's in Galilee, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses spoke about in the law and the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. There's two things in this. John, the writing, it goes the next day, the next day, the next day. There's an immediacy. And the next day, each day, they're going and sharing what they've got. They didn't have much. They didn't fully understand anything, but they just knew they discovered someone really significant. And they shared it. We know who that someone is, beloved. We need to share. I must finish. Final comment. These men were not trained in evangelism. They hadn't been to the school of evangelism. They hadn't spent months, whatever. They just got a testimony. They got a little. And the little they got, they went and told. And we're the same. You're not trained. But in one sense, we're equipped when the Holy Spirit works within us from day to day. And the interesting thing about these people is they quite simply got up, got out, and got on with it. Shall we do likewise? I hope so. God bless you. Thank you for listening so patiently. <laughs>